0: You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. By now, you understand. There are a lot of people and an awful lot of money invested in making artificial intelligence bots like ChatGPT a huge thing. And now what sort of thing? That depends on who you ask. These bots, if trained correctly, could change the world. They could become adept at diagnosing cancer. They could find ways to let us live a life of leisure while they do so much of the grunt work. Or they could steal our jobs, do those jobs extremely poorly and still be worth it to their corporate masters because they aren't actual people with tricky needs or families or... Occasionally, even unions. Before they can become any of those things, though, they need to be better and they need to be profitable. Neither of those efforts is going particularly smoothly at the moment. And the second one is about to be tested in a massive way.
1: Well, the New York Times is taking OpenAI and Microsoft to court. It's filing a federal lawsuit today against the maker of ChatGPT over copyright infringement. The Times says that millions of articles published in the paper were used to train automated chatbots that now compete with it as a source of reliable information.
0: Here's the root of the fascinating discussion we're going to have today. As a child, I wanted to be a journalist and I wanted to make money writing articles in newspapers. In the process of learning how to do that, I read everything, including thousands of pieces in the New York Times. Musicians, of course, learn by first mimicking their favorite songs, and artists do the same with the masters of the past. We all learn from what already exists. The questions that will soon be tested in court and might decide the future of how we use artificial intelligence are these. How different is a computer and a human, each learning from example? As machines become able to mimic the creative endeavors that humans have mastered, what compensation is owed to those creators they learned from? And can bots... Like ChatGPT, even survive without free access to a world of copyrighted material. I'm Jordan Heath Rawlings. This is The Big Story. James Grimmelman is the Tesla Family Professor of Digital and Information Law at Cornell Tech and Cornell Law School. Hi, James. Hello. I want to start by asking you kind of a very general question about these artificial intelligence, large language models that we've seen proliferate over the last little while. In general, how do you train something like ChatGPT or these other models? How much do we know about what that process entails? We know what the process looks like in general terms.
1: We don't know the specifics of exactly what information ChatGPT was trained on. But in general, you take this model, which is just a large collection of numbers that represent relationships between words and different concepts in a language, and you expose it to lots and lots of texts. Those can be articles, web pages, all kinds of things. And each time you expose it to one, the model adjusts itself a little bit to understand the correlations between words so that it knows that. If the word is good, the next word is slightly more likely to be morning or day. And you do this with enough different texts, and it comes up with a pretty good statistical
0: model of what language looks like. What kind of scale are we talking about when we say we expose it to text? We are talking the entire web.
1: We are talking every book they can get their hands on. We are talking
0: billions of items. The New York Times right now, and this is why... We're speaking to you about sort of the future of these programs. The New York Times is suing OpenAI uh, and Microsoft. Why are they suing them? And is this the only lawsuit of its kind out there or to come? So, this
1: is far from the only lawsuit of its kind. There are a great many copyright owners who have filed lawsuits against OpenAI and against other AI companies. And The general tenor of all of these lawsuits is copyright infringement, that among those texts that these models have been trained on, there are the copyrighted stories, books, code written by the plaintiffs. And the argument is that these models were built by learning from our work, and therefore that's a use of this work that we as copyright owners should be allowed to approve of or say no
0: to. As we get into the specifics of this, do we know exactly what texts have been used to train which AIs? We do not have
1: perfect knowledge. Partly this is because of copyright lawsuits. As the first ones were filed or announced, the AI companies became much cagier about saying exactly what works they've trained on. But in general terms, The Times in particular has done a really strong job of showing that ChatGPT has to have been trained on New York Times articles. They have found ways of prompting the model to say, tell me about what happened on this date in this place. And if they verify that just right, ChatGPT will respond with the text of a New York Times article, or they will feed it a couple of sentences from the article And then ChatGPT will show that it's able to continue the article near word for
0: word. That's so interesting. I thought that the purpose of training these models and these programs were so that it could kind of synthesize all the information and come up with its own responses. What you're saying is if you ask it certain questions, it will simply respond with the text of a New York Times article.
1: Yes. And I don't think this is the desired behavior from OpenAI's perspective. They would prefer that it come back with a general summary. It's just that it's either been exposed to this article enough times because it's in different sources on the web, or OpenAI told it that New York Times articles are especially reliable to weight, so it should weight them heavily. And the model has not just understood the content of the article, but actually memorized it near word for word. It's like a student studying for a test. At some point, they go beyond getting the concept
0: and are able to, spit out their notes word for word. Huh. In the future of AI and its applications, presumably it's eventually going to be used to make a profit. How important is the New York Times case in particular, but also uh, other copyright cases? These could be highly significant
1: because they can control both whether it's possible to train these AIs at all, and also where the money will go if there is a value. What's the defense uh, on ChatGPT or OpenAI's part? So the defense here would be fair use, which is a U.S. concept. And other countries have their own legal rules for copyright. Some European countries have special exceptions for what's called text and data mining. But here in the U.S., the main defense would be fair use. And fair use has always allowed the use of copyrighted works for purposes that don't harm authors, but advance other socially valuable purposes. It's been used for things like criticism. So if you want to write a critical book review, you're allowed to quote from the book to make your points. It has been used for art that comments on or remixes existing works. It has been used for A home recording, so you have a VCR, you can take TV shows off the air. And most relevantly, it's been used for a couple of bulk technological uses, plagiarism detection or Google's search engine for books. In those cases, the idea is that the computer system learns from a whole lot of copyrighted works and it then does something else interesting. It doesn't give you the whole book. It shows you which books talk about a given topic. It doesn't write essays. It tells you whether an essay has been plagiarized.
0: What's the difference between those uses you just cited and what Chat GPT does? So OpenAI would say that there's almost no difference, that these
1: are almost exactly the same. The plaintiffs, I think, would say the difference is these other uses don't reproduce a lot of the work itself. So the New York Times says, you're not just learning about American history from Reading Times articles. You are using this to potentially produce articles that compete with the New York Times for journalism. You are free writing off of our work in a way that undermines
0: the market for it. Is it even possible to create something like a chat GPT without using copyrighted works to train it?
1: Well, in theory, you could use only public domain works. You could go back to works that are out of copyright, or you could use ones that have been explicitly licensed by people who have opted in to having their works used for training. The concern is just that the models you would make that way might not be as good. They wouldn't be up to date on anything that's happened in the last 80 years, and they would be much weaker at understanding language in general because the training set would be just
0: too much smaller. During the course of this case, and I, I guess the other cases as well, how will courts work to determine where the line we're talking about here is between using it for training purposes, which uh, I mean, that's uh, I learned uh, to be a journalist in part by reading The New York Times obsessively uh, between that use and the use of actively stealing copyrighted works like the Times will demonstrate by saying, look, here's our article coming out of Chad GPT. How do you figure out that line? This is not a line that exists in nature. Hmm.
1: You don't go out into the wild and find the line like a borderline between fair use and infringement. Right. This is a line that courts have to draw themselves in light of the purposes of copyright. So they have to look at how much does this actually harm the market for journalism? How dependent are these uses on copyrighted inputs? What kinds of valuable outputs can we produce from ChatGPT that aren't competing with the Times, that aren't infringing? And all of that gets put into a very complicated balancing test that ultimately relies on court's policy judgments.
0: What are the plaintiffs seeking in these cases? And maybe it differs from case to case. Are they saying, no, we want you to prohibit companies like OpenAI from using any of our works to train it? Or are they seeking compensation uh, for their their works being used and uh, to turn that into part of a profitable business model? There's a variety among plaintiffs.
1: So if you ask them what they want and look at their filings in court, some of them are hostile to the whole project. They think that these AIs are inhuman abominations and they would be happy to see them burnt to the ground. A lot of the other plaintiffs, like the media companies and some of the authors, just think that it's unfair that they're being cut out of the value. They want what they see is fair compensation for the value that their works create. Now, in terms of what they're actually asking for in court, the requested remedies are very similar. They want an award of damages to compensate them, and they want injunctions that would stop the AI companies from doing this without permission. I think the difference is some plaintiffs would want those injunctions just to stop it, and then they're satisfied, whereas a lot of the others would like it as a starting point for negotiations. If you want to use our works, We have to agree on a mutually
0: agreeable split. How much would being forced to pay companies like the Times or authors actually impact the future of artificial intelligence? I don't think, I mean, right now, most of these programs are free to use. They're kind of in their infancy, but presumably eventually uh, they're going to be for profit enterprises. And how much does the fact that you would have to pay to train them uh, impact the future of it?
1: So, partly it affects how much money. There is in this. And I don't think it's an insuperable problem if they have to negotiate with media companies. Spotify has to negotiate with music companies in order to get permission to play the music. Spotify has managed to survive and thrive. So it's you know you can make a profitable tech company when you need to pay for your copyrighted inputs. I think the harder problem is if you have to get permission individually from every single copyright owner. It's one thing to negotiate with the Times, which has one archive and owns all of the copyrights and can just work out one deal. If you had to negotiate with every single blogger about their blog posts, that's impossible. You can't do that on a retail basis. You'd have to get some kind of blanket deal. And so it's a existential threat to AI, really only if every individual author can block the whole project.
0: What will the court process look like? Where will it happen? Uh, what's the timeline and what do you expect to see? So there are about a dozen lawsuits in flight
1: at the moment in the U.S. and they range from the Times has gone very recently to about a year old. So it's lot a variation in how quickly these cases move through the courts. Some of them have reached preliminary decisions already. Others are still in very early procedural wrangling. I expect to see a fair number of substantive decisions this year, but no final settlement of anything because there will be appeals and other cases ongoing. So we'll get some pretty strong indications this year. But it's going to take several years for the courts really to reach conclusions that stick.
0: When you speak to or see comments from people in the artificial intelligence industry, how concerned are they with this line of legal attack and the future of the industry at large, I guess?
1: I don't know that concern is the right word for it. There's such a sense of historical inevitability. They feel like they're writing right now. I think they feel like they're riding a tide that the legal system couldn't possibly stop even if it tried. I think the concern goes more to, will the legal system distort this? Will it hold back some uses unnecessarily? It's more of, the, more of a sense of affecting how AI comes to happen than whether.
0: What will you be looking for out of the arguments that might give you an indication of where this is going to go?
1: I'm really focused, I think, on how closely the courts engage with the technical details of training and generation, because that's going to affect how the courts think about these generative AI systems. Do they think of them as giant collage machines? Do they think of them as databases of works? Do they think of them more as like the human brain, which stitches together things that's been influenced by In a way that's so complicated, we can't understand. Courts are going to be choosing among different metaphors. And the choice of metaphor is going to make a huge difference in how they
0: respond on the legal questions. Since you won't be trying this case, I'm going to ask you, how do you think of it? I think that the metaphor to
1: the brain is actually fairly helpful in that it's a mix of things we understand and things we do not understand at all. And that combination of some base level knowledge with profound ignorance is a really interesting position for courts to be in, that we're used to dealing in the legal system with situations where we basically know what's happened. We can predict that if people are exposed to these chemicals, it poses these health risks, but the degree of ignorance we have towards... AI systems that are this complicated and this big
0: is really kind of new and interesting. Given that big tech's attitude can often be, um, you know, this is above and beyond what most consumers understand about how this product works. I'll ask you, like, how will the average person who's listening to this show experience the result of these cases in their daily lives as AI becomes a bigger part of it. These cases can affect which AIs are
1: available. So if a court issues an injunction against ChatGPT, ChatGPT won't be available. These cases can also affect how good the AIs are and what directions their outputs go. So if the New York Times can get its articles pulled from ChatGPT, then There'll be less news coverage there and I will have a different slant. These cases also in the longer term may affect the future of the creative professions. How profitable is it to be a journalist or an artist? Can we have human creativity in the ways we're accustomed to now? So those are all things that are at stake for your average
0: listener and user. How confident are you in the court's ability to fairly decide this? And I ask it because we've seen in recent years Courts that, to be frank, maybe have not kept up with the pace of modern technology and the internet age in general, let alone uh, this new and incredibly more powerful, but also more confusing iteration of it. Like, are the courts equipped to to handle this kind of discussion?
1: So there are actually two things that make me maybe more optimistic than I might normally be about having these cases to settle in court. The first is that We're having a real AI moment. Generative AI is everywhere in public consciousness. People are talking about it. Judges are people too. They read the news. They're going to get a lot of information about this from the massive public interest. So they're not coming at some obscure technical topic cold. As the public gets better educated about generative AI and how it works, judges will too. And the other thing that makes me way more relaxed about how things are going to go is that we're not looking at one lawsuit, so it's not hinging on any one judge. Because judges can be very variable. They have good days and bad. Some of them are closely involved with the technology. Others aren't. But once you have a bunch of different judges looking at something, you get much more of a wisdom of crowds effect. They read each other's work and learn from it, and you get better outcomes from the courts when judges can really think through the issues as a group collectively deliberating. And so the fact that we have so many lawsuits with all these variations between them, different plaintiffs and different defendants and different legal theories and different courts gives the legal system a lot of opportunity to
0: learn from itself as it goes. James, thank you so much for this. Uh, It's a fascinating thing to discuss. And I guess uh, the first judge to issue a ruling will kind of influence the second one. We are all influencing each other and all learning from each other. It's like we're all a large language model. James, thank you so much for this. You're very welcome. It's been a pleasure. James Grimmelman of Cornell Tech and Cornell Law School. That was the big story. For more, head up thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can find every episode we've ever done there. There's now more than sixteen hundred of them. I check every couple of months because I lose track. If you have feedback for us on this episode or any other, we are planning an entire episode consisting of listener feedback and what we think about it. So get it in now to perhaps be included in that one. The way to do it is with an email to hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca or a voicemail, which you can leave by calling 416-935-5935. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.